Well, good morning, everybody. How are we today? Do what, Luke? That's all I can hear. All right. He sounds like his daddy. I'm humble too. That's why I have to wear a microphone. It's good to worship with you guys this morning. So we are currently right smack in the middle of a short series on our distinctives as a gathering place church. Um, just wanted to remind us that God wants us to take a moment in, the, in, the, in between two larger studies. I don't know what the second one's going to be, but you know me, they're going to be big. Um, we, we've talked about who God has called us to be and how we're to go about the task that he's called us to. So far, we've covered our mission, our motivation, and the message. And today, we're going to talk about our methods. In other words, we're going to talk today about how God has designed our body and our local church to operate. This is the kind of the nuts and bolts of, of daily church life. Last week, we talked about message. Um, which is the gospel of Jesus. We were reminded that our mission is to lead people to know Christ by experience. And our motivation to do that is the grace of God that we have received and understood. And once we understand our mission and we're properly motivated by grace, it's time for us to share that message. And so we spent a good amount of time last week talking about our own stories, particularly about how we came to know our need for Jesus and our salvation. And this isn't some perfect message that you have crafted and rehearsed, but rather it's something that you share out of experience. I was thinking about it this way last night. If you were going to tell me about a recent vacation that you went on, you would not prepare notes about that in advance and rehearse it and then come tell me, right? It would be much more spontaneous than that. We might bump into each other and be like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about this trip. Now, you may pull your phone out and show me some pictures from your trip, but you certainly would not have prepared slides in advance, correct? Unless you're that guy. We'll talk about that later, okay? Our, our testimony should feel the same way. It should be that organic. And the only way that happens is by us regularly sharing that story with other people. And I asked you guys to do that in life group last week. We, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, kind of as our main text for that last week. And we pointed out three things. Number one, that you and I are born in sin and we live according to sin when we're born. And number two, God, because he loves us, gave us eternal life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And then three, that this is a gift that only... Uh, comes if we ask, right? And we have to believe. All believers have a story. And you may not think that your story is good enough to share, but I reminded you that your story was good enough to change your own life. God did something in your life that changed who you were. And that is what makes it good enough. It's not about the things that you say. It's about you walking in obedience. It's not the power of your words. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as you listen to what He's telling you to say. If He leads you to share it, it's His work, not your words that are going to do the work. I, I wanted to point this out last week, and here we talked about the message of Jesus. We talked about salvation. Bethany was teaching in the kids' class where Eli happened to be, and they talked about salvation, right? Um, and then I asked the life groups to share their salvation story, and the Westbrook life group that meets at the McKay's house did that, and guess who's sitting in there? Eli. And so remember Craig said Eli started asking a lot of big questions on the way home church. This is God saying, hey, this is how it works. We talked about salvation. We shared our own stories, and eight-year-old Eli heard all of that last Sunday and recognize his need for a Savior. God was working in his heart. It's not about the stories that were shared. It was about the act of obedience to do what God has called us to do, which is to share our stories and to share the message of Jesus. There was also a young man 
this week, um, who was in our, who's been in our youth group for a long time, who gave his life to Christ. He went to YC. He heard the gospel in every session that they have at YC. Now, there's total of what, four or five sessions in every one of those, they shared the gospel. In fact, one of the activities in one of the sessions where they were presented with a plan on how to present the gospel and they had to, to share that with the person sitting next to them. They practiced sharing the gospel and this kid sat in on that and he had conversations with Bethany, he had conversations with Kyle and, and I know Bethany and Kyle well enough to know that they're able to effectively share the, the gospel just like they are at YC. However, this young man did not accept Christ on the first, second, third, tenth hearing of the gospel. Because it's not about them responding to our words. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. And this week, they again presented the gospel on Wednesday nights. And Bethany and Kyle pulled this young man aside because they knew that God was working on him. And said, hey, have you thought about this anymore? And he's like, yeah, I prayed that prayer two nights ago. He'd given his life to Christ. Church, it's not about what we do in terms of the words that we use. It's about us acting in obedience and sharing our stories and sharing God's story as he calls us to do it. And there's nothing more exciting than knowing that God used you to change someone else's life. But for a lot of us, we've got to get over that hump of being nervous about it. You're not nervous when you tell me about your vacation, right? And I think we would all say that our salvation is way bigger, way more exciting, way more important than any vacation will ever go on. And so we've got to transform our minds and let God work in our hearts to make that feel as organic it is to tell somebody about something else that's happened in your life. We'll talk more about that later. Moving forward today in our series, we're going to talk about our methods, the way we do church here at TGP. We're going to start by talking about the roles of elders, deacons, deaconesses, and our church members. And we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of the differences in all of those roles. If you'd like a detailed refresher on those roles, I preached on this the first three or four weeks of January in 2021. So you can go back and look at the podcast if you want to get down in the nitty-gritty with that. But those messages are there if you want to read them. So today, let's talk first about the ministry of the elders. Uh, In case you're unaware, the gathering place is elder-led, which is different than a lot of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. We believe that elder-led is the model for the church governance that's put forth in Scripture. The elders and the pastors have equal authority at TGP, which is a, a, a very unique thing that I love. Uh, Ben and Carrie are also elders in our church, and my vote is not bigger than their vote, right? We all are on equal footing. I'm just tasked with this responsibility on Sunday mornings. The elders manage the business affairs of the church. They oversee all matters concerning the conduct of public worship. We're responsible for assuring the best measures, for promoting the spiritual growth and evangelistic witness of the congregation. So, in short, the elders are the decision-making body of the church. Most things we will be able to make on our own, but some we will bring to the church for a vote of approval. Um, The elders are presented, affirmed, and held accountable by the membership of TGP. You guys, most of I think, I think everybody in this room um, has been a part of that elder ordination process. You know what that looks like and what that feels like. Like I said a minute ago, some major decisions are brought to the membership of the elders for vote for for affirmation, things like as choosing a pastor, uh, major expenditures, church budget, things like that. Um, But everything else we can kind of do on our own without having those big votes. Uh, One of the most important aspects of the elders and the ministry leaders is what qualifies us for ministry. Um, The primary place we pull those qualifications, both for elders and for deacons, is from 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
Um, and I read this this week to kind of get my head back around this, and I wanted to share it with you. One of my commentaries said this about First um, and Second Timothy. It says, These epistles addressed by the apostle to his close associates reveal much about the author, about the recipients, and about the general church situation reflected in them. They provide valuable insight into some of the problems faced by the early church and to give pointers to the best way to deal with them. They suggest great care in ordering of the church affairs, at least with regard to the appointment of suitable officials. They have, for that reason, been a constant source of valuable guidance in pastoral matters during the ensuing history of the church, right? As a lot of you guys know, TGP was kind of born out of the ashes of what used to be Donahue Family Church. Without going into a lot of details, there was a significant problem with the way the leadership of that church was structured um, and, and was formed and how that church operated. And that ultimately led to the demise of the church. During that time, the leaders that remained after everything, after all the fallout, looked to God and to his word to say, how does God want us to structure the church? Um, and they came to 1 Timothy. If you look at chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 7, we're going to look at the qualifications that the apostle lays out for those that are to lead the church in the role of elder. It says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So this does not mean that we as elders think that we are perfect, that we have fully uh, met all of these qualifications at all times in our lives, right? We've talked about this before. This means that we are striving in the power of the Holy Spirit daily to fulfill these qualifications. For many years, the church as a gathering place operated with elders only, mainly because of the confusion that comes culturally from the word deacons, right? A lot of us, I didn't grow up with deacons, but a lot of people in this room uh, did, and a lot of people that I grew up with did, and we know that there's been some, some struggles there, we'll say it that way. During our, our study on the book of Exodus, my first year, God spoke that it was time for us to ordain deacons and deaconesses, and God had begun to speak it during our study the year prior uh, on the early church when we were studying the book of Acts, but after God led me to pastor, and while uh, the church was still kind of, and I, and I was also still working at Petron full-time. We were trying to kind of figure out what that was going to look like. It became more apparent that now is the time. So there are many things that our deacons and deaconesses just handle. That's why God called us to, to implement that role. And, and I can say with confidence that I would not be this far in ministry, and our church would not be the way it is without the work and the volunteers and, and the, the self-sacrifice that the deacons have made for us. So if you don't mind, I want to take a moment because we don't do this often. If you're a deacon, I want you to stand up real quick. Let's let everybody look at you. Come on up, y'all. Y'all stand up. All right. Is that all of them that are here today? All right. Hey, I'll give them a round of applause. Okay, that's enough. I love you guys so much. I really mean that. We couldn't be who we are today without y'all. Um, so let's talk about the ministry of deacons and deaconesses. Um, I, I know that 
many of us, like I said a while ago, have grown up with difficulties with deacons, and we'll share those stories in another forum at another time. We can have a recovery group. Um, but that's not been the case here at TGP. And I wanted to point out from Acts, um, when Glenn taught on this, why we have deacons and what their role is. So let's look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the... the primary responsibility of the diaconate, as it's described in scripture, that's the office of the deacon, is to serve the body. That's what a deacon is supposed to do and a deaconess. Um, I remember when Juan Jose and I first started spending time together, I had a conversation with him trying to kind of explain this very idea. I don't know if I did a good job or not, but one of the things that, that I had to do when I took on the role of pastor is, is to put my hammer down. I have the skills, the tools, and I enjoy working on things. And so there's a lot of stuff around this place that needed to be fixed that I had the experience and all that to do, but God told me not to. And, and part of that is because of what we just read in Acts. It's because if I, I only, I'm working full-time, I work 40, 50 hours a week, and so if I spend what little bit of time I have away from Petron doing repairs around the church, and I'm spending my time in the wrong place, because that's not the, the role that God has called me to. Not that I'm a, a, afraid of it, but i got to be obedient to what God's calling, calling me to do. And this is what we're seeing in Acts. Um, there are so many things in the body that need to be done in order to take care of it. But all of that can't possibly be done by one person. And we see that happen in churches all the time. I grew up in a church like that where all of the responsibilities for everything were on the pastor's shoulders. And rather than being able to spend their time shepherding the flock, they're spending their time putting out fires. And that's not the way God designed the church um, to, to operate. Well, this idea came up again in our study in Exodus chapter 18. I want to read this to you too. This is where Moses has led Israel um, into the wilderness. Remember Pharaoh's army was chasing them and then they cross the Red Sea and armies, uh, Pharaoh's army is killed and they all sing God's praises and the next day they get out into the desert and they all start complaining again, right? And it's not long until Moses runs into his father-in-law Jethro and this is where we're going to pick up. Um, Jethro has just watched Moses spend an entire day hearing the complaints and judging cases among all of these thousands of people that are now out in the wilderness. And Jethro says this. He says, what you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now, listen to me. I'll give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. And they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this... And God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also, all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Right? So my first year in as a pastor, I'm trying to juggle all the stuff. And we get to this place in Exodus chapter 18. And I went, oh, gotcha. Okay? So 
God was super clear. If we're going to be the church he wants us to be, I needed some help. And help is what I got. So just like the elders, deacons and deaconesses must be qualified. And the apostle addresses this right after he gives the qualifications for elders. So look at me again uh, in 1 Timothy. We're going to look at uh, verses 8 through 13. And and I, I want to point out that there are different qualifications. They're very similar, but they're different for elders and for deacons. The author of 1 Timothy is addressing two different roles, not the same one. So picking up in verse 8, he says, Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, must be worthy of respect, not slander, self-control, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So having the right person or the right people in leadership in church is super important. The health of the church depends on having the people that God has called to ministry in those positions. And I can say with full confidence, church, that those that are in leadership, both in elders and in deacons, are the people that God has called to those positions. They are qualified and they are serving well. I do want to say as an aside that we, I'm using the word deacon and deaconesses, and I'm doing that intentionally because we, we looked at this when we went through the study. If you want to get into the details, there is a biblical precedent for having women serving in the role of deacons. Okay, We see that Paul sends Phoebe to, to go and to read some letters. We can talk about that more, but I want to make sure that everybody understands that, that that's not a male-only role, okay? So let's talk about the ministry of the church body. God has called all of the members of the church to care for one another, and I love that Craig pointed that out today when he was sharing his testimony with Eli. He was like, this is y'all. Y'all did this, right? This is not a, a job uh, of just the elders and the deacons to care for the church, when we look at the, at the birth of the church, we see the members caring for one another with reckless abandon. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47 with me. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Here's what I want to point out. is because of the work that God was doing in the lives of the early church and the love that they felt through the Holy Spirit They loved one another in the same way. We talked about that in our other distinctives. The church was caring for the church. The Holy Spirit had total control over their lives, resulting in a rich community that cared deeply for one another. And I'm saying all that because I want us to understand that this is our call. If we look at at 1 Peter chapter 4, this came up in my readings this week, verse 7 through 11. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. 
If anyone speaks, let him be one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This passage reminds me of the hymn, They'll Know We Are Christians. Y'all remember that one? I was singing it all, all last night. Just as we talked about a few weeks, a few weeks ago, all of this needs to be motivated by what we have experienced with God. If we all are tasked with, you've got to take care of this person, it's not going to be enjoyable either for you or for the person that you're tasked to take care of. Our goal is that we love one another because we are loved by God. That the love that we have for one another overflows to the people around us. This is not a self-motivated act, which leads us to our next point. We are called to be led by the Holy Spirit. As we've, as we've previously discussed in our personal lives, we seek to commune with God and to follow His leading each day. In the context of our time here on Sunday mornings and in life groups, we've been led to create an environment where the Holy Spirit has the freedom to work. This means that our services are not going to be held to a predetermined agenda. Just a few weeks ago, Leah, without talking to me, which was totally cool, rearranged the whole service, and then I rearranged it again spontaneously in the middle of church because that's what the Holy Spirit said to do. That's the freedom that we're talking about, that we're not going, oh, no, you can't do three songs. We're only supposed to do two there, right? We're not, we're not those people. As the Holy Spirit leads, we're going to change and, and move forward. We enjoy a, a contemporary style of worship with strong biblical teaching and practical application. Each person's got the freedom to sit, stand, raise your hand, bow, with no pressure to conform to anyone except the Holy Spirit. Our services are energetic and exciting, and God moves. I love that it's kind of become commonplace now, that the weaving together that happens between our children's message, worship, prayers, testimonies, and the messages every week. We don't plan that. I don't have time to plan that kind of stuff. That's too many details. But the Holy Spirit does. And he works all of those things together um, through Leah, David, Bethany, all of you guys, myself. We just simply do, say, sing the things that the Holy Spirit leads us to on a week-to-week basis. And then we all get to see God meshing that together. We get to see that we're all listening to the same Holy Spirit, which is super cool. And all that's possible because we've learned to hear and obey God. That's our, our second to last one for today. In order to know God by experience and to lead others to know God by experience, we have to know how to hear and obey God. We have a significant emphasis on that at TGP. That's why we talk about the abiding so much. It's because we want people to know how to hear and obey what God's saying. We cannot be the people that God's called us to be if we can't do that. We're going to help our members. We're committed to that, to understand how God communicates with us by sharing biblical principles and personal testimonies. We believe that God will speak to you and give you guidance and direction for every decision in your life. God wants to guide your daily life, and we want to help you understand how that works. I love the testimony this morning about David's sister, who they've been praying for that, for, for, for this sister, and then God did this incredible, how amazing is that? That somebody just walks up and like, hey, God's going to give you the wisdom you need. Like, what an affirmation of God's activity in your life. That's incredible. Thank you all for sharing that this morning. But we believe that God desires for us to relate to him as a person, not some inanimate being. We believe that our, our, we want to help our members learn how to grow in their understanding of God as a person. We will promote personal, daily, intimate times of scripture and devotional reading and prayer. And we're going to help our members learn that obedience to God's will allows us to experience the person of God in our daily lives. As we obey, God's going to reveal himself. We're going to learn more about who he is. 
And our commitment as a church is to hear what God says and to do it. Our elders and leaders are committed to keeping our structure flexible to God's leading. We're going to talk about this more when we cover ministry, but that's why there's a lot of things that we do and there's a lot of things that we don't do. Um, It's because we're following God's lead on each of those things. Um, And one thing that's very specific that God's spoken for us to do is small group ministry. We believe the Bible has a precedent for small group discipleship and ministry. Our church is committed to developing small groups that will provide ministry, discussion about biblical application, and fellowship with every member. We've, we've said this a lot over the years, but our life groups are the caregiving arm of the church. These groups help our church to ministry, minister effectively, and they provide meals when your family's sick, support in times of crisis, companionship, and help as you live out your daily life. Um, I was talking with another pastor this week and explaining how we operate as a church. It was actually the guy who came. I don't know if y'all noticed, but we got a new door in the side of the gym, which is awesome. We've had that thing for like, I don't know, three or four years, but never been able to get it installed. Those guys were here, that guy, Joe. Um, remember the, Bethany, that was the kid that ran with the paint. That was his youth pastor, wasn't it? Yeah. Y'all remember the story about the kid running with the paint and it's flying everywhere? The same church, okay? And they saw that we had that need, and that guy said, hey, we got a guy in our, our church that's like a professional welder. We're going to come up, and we're going to put that door in for you. And so they came. So Joe and I were talking this week, and I was, he was asking questions about our church, and so I was explaining how we operate. And, and you've heard Glenn say this before, but I was sharing with him, the life groups are the life of our church. Like that's where, all, for me, that's where all the real good stuff happens. Um, I was explaining to this pastor that Sundays are important to us, but the life groups are just as important to the life of our church and to what God's called us. Um, Because in those groups is where we are able to truly be known, to be loved, to be cared for. Things happen in that intimate setting that can't happen here on a Sunday morning. And we couldn't be the people that God's called us to be without that. In the context of those groups, we experience church as we saw it described in Acts chapter 2. Right? If there's somebody in your life group that has a need, everybody just jumps on board and they take care of it because, not because we have to, because we want to, because we love those people deeply. And I also want to point out that our history has shown that if a person comes to church on a Sunday morning, or even for several Sunday mornings, or even months or a year, but they don't get connected in a life group, they don't stick with us. And this is why. It's those life groups. That's where, the, that's where the magic happens, as they say. This isn't because Sunday mornings aren't great. They are. It's because our human nature desires community. And community happens in those smaller groups. It's in the context of those small groups that people can be authentic. That they can ask the hard questions. In this setting, when I'm orating, when I'm sharing God's word with you, this is not, unless you're like a Russ Meek or something, you're not going to raise your hand and ask a question. I mean, you could, I'd be okay with it, but that's not our culture, right? But in those life group settings, as we're discussing the messages, we're studying whatever it is God's put before us to study, that's the moment where you can say, I don't, I don't really understand that. I want to ask a question about that. I want to, Bethany all the time, I love this, would be like, I'm going to play devil's advocate and think about this in a totally different way. And it gets everybody off their guard and the discussion becomes really great, right? Because you're thinking in a different way. You're, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, you're struggling, you're wrestling, you're grappling with not just the truth of scripture, but what does this mean for me, right? And that's not something that necessarily happens or can happen here on a Sunday morning. In that setting, we can talk about and flesh out what it really means to be a follower of Christ. As we do that, the members and the visitors of our life groups hear the gospel and have the opportunity to respond to it. That's exactly what happened with Eli last week. 
Eli sat in life group, which normally the kids don't, but he did last week. And he heard the gospel, and he heard personal testimonies of what it has meant to the people in that group, and it changed his life. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. That's the whole point. And that brings us to our last point for today, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus. We believe that God has designed all of us. God's design is for evangelizing of the world involves every believer. We talk, y'all have heard me say that a hundred times, right? Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not the Christ in will, not Christ in the pastor, but Christ in us is the hope of glory. God has called all of us to share what we have learned by our experience. And we are committed to leading our members to develop relationships with non-believers in the community, to love them, to spend time with them, care for their families, and to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one of the purposes of our life groups. We provide opportunities through our small groups for relationship building in a non-threatening environment, a place where people can ask those hard questions and get real answers and really struggle and grapple and wrestle with the truths of our faith. At the beginning of this message, I used the illustration of, about sharing a vacation and how we don't rehearse that. It's a natural thing to do. And by participating in our life groups about sharing our stories and inviting those that don't know Jesus to join us, we can learn to share that gospel as effortlessly, effortlessly as we share about another significant moment in our lives. It becomes normal and commonplace for us to talk about what God is doing in our lives. I don't know about your life group, but when I go to life groups, that's normal. We talk about the things that God's going on. And when you invite somebody who's not a believer into that setting and they get to hear those stories of, man, I was struggling with this this week and this is what God did. Or I was having an amazing week and I learned this about God this week. When people hear those authentic, natural stories, it does just what it did for Eli. People go, man, I want that for myself. I want that in my life. This kind of loops us back around to where we started today. During this time of year, at Christmas time, people are more willing to talk about Jesus than any other time, even, even than Easter, right? Because not everybody celebrates Easter, but everybody celebrates Christmas. And people are more willing to talk about it. This is a great time to allow the Holy Spirit to guide your conversations. If you have a friend or a coworker or a neighbor that doesn't know Christ, pray for them. Ask God to draw him to themselves and ask God to give you opportunities to share the gospel. Because you're going to talk about Christmas at some point. Be willing to share your story as God leads. And I, and I also want to say as an aside, don't forget about your children either. I'm working on putting together a family devotion that we can do on Christmas. You can do either on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. But this is a great time to talk to your kids about all that Jesus has done for you. About what Christmas means for you personally. Luke, I don't remember how many years ago, gave his life to Christ on Christmas Eve as we were doing a family devotion about Jesus. Don't pass that opportunity up. If you've got kids or grandkids, take a moment, share the gospel. Culturally, Christmas time is when it's easiest to talk about Jesus with other people. So take time this Christmas season as you're going through the busyness or as you're having conversations to pause and share the gospel as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the way that you've structured and you've organized our church. Lord, I, I ask that as we continue to move forward in the ministries that you've called us, Father, that you would regularly remind us of, of who we are and who you've called us to be. Father, this morning as we close out in worship, I ask that you would, would give us some memories of the good times, of all the goodness that we've experienced together. God, use that, that graceful experience that you've given us to, to push us forward 
into new areas, into new ministries as we follow your lead. In Jesus' name we pray.